Well, if you're uh, new to us today, if, the, if you're a guest with us, I am really delighted that you are here this morning and uh, want you to know that we are in the midst of a series simply called Cross Training. Uh, it's a play on the physical activity that we do to prepare our bodies through exercise and training to do the very best that we can. And, and every Christian needs to be involved in cross training, learning how to take up our cross and follow Him better. Two weeks ago, we talked about eating right spiritually. Last week, we talked about having a, a regimen, a spiritual regimen that we do. Today, we're going to talk about the simple fact that we don't want to do this alone. Don't go it alone. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always enjoyed sports where a team effort was required a lot more than, than single action. Uh, when I played tennis in college, uh, I enjoyed playing doubles better than singles because I had a partner to make up for my, uh, for my uh, deficiencies. Um, when I play golf, I do a lot better. I relax more when I play team golf as opposed to individual golf. Now, really, my score is better when I stay off the course, but nevertheless, I do better with, with a team like that. You see, Personal connections make a difference. They are important. You've heard it often in life. It's not what you know. It's who you know that matters. Now, that's more true than, than not. It, it's the personal connections that make the difference. How many times have you heard somebody say something like this? Well, my dad would go, was good friends with the professor, so even though the class was closed, I still got in. Or, I have a sister who works for the airlines. We get to fly free. Or, how did I get this job? I dated the boss's daughter. <laughs> you know, personal connections. It's who you know that makes the difference. Which server gets the best tip when you eat out? The one who makes a personal connection, of course. Which doctor will you wait hours to see? The one that makes a personal connection with you. Which teacher is at the top of your list of favorite teachers? It's the one that makes a personal connection with you. And on what basis do we personally connect? Oh, there are lots of ways. Uh, family is one thing. I, I never cease to be amazed at how cousins just um, automatically connect simply because they're family. Sometimes it has to do with age. People from similar age groups have a lot in common and connect quickly. Uh, they, they share the same historical events in their lifetime. They often grew up with the same kind of music and like that. Uh, there's, there's something about age and the stages of life that you're in that, that make a good connecting point. Sometimes it's location. Depending on where you grew up, you will have an immediate connection with somebody else that's from that very same locality. Places you've been, restaurants you've eaten at. Sometimes it's a hobby. Anytime I meet somebody that likes old cars or, or aviation, there is an immediate connection with me. And what I've noticed is that there's an immediate connection on the other side, too. Doesn't matter if you know anything about the person. Boy, you, you've got a, an immediate point of conversation. Sometimes it's the issue of suffering. When we go through painful ordeals, and then you learn that somebody else went through a similar painful ordeal, wow. That can be a connecting point. The old expression, misery, loves, company, really is true. We, we also like to personally connect with somebody who's famous, past or present, someone who will, we think, give us a little bit of added credibility. You know, if I'm connected somehow with somebody famous, maybe that makes me a little bit more credible. Now, we've got a lot of, of folks in this congregation who are connected to, to people of 
of fame. Uh, John Cronkite uh, is a direct descendant of William Bradford, who came over on the Mayflower, who was governor uh, of, of the colony there. Uh, he's also connected via family with Walter Cronkite, uh, the famous newscaster. So he's got a lot of connections. Uh, one of our fellows after the first service this morning came up and says he is a direct descendant of one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Stockman was, or Stockton was uh, the gentleman's name. Uh, we have others here who are uh, related to famous Hollywood actors, athletes, and more. Del Harris, Coach Del Harris, former head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers, is a distant relative of mine. We share together a great, great grandfather who in, in the past gave property for the church building that now sits in southern Indiana. It was back in 1835 when this congregation, Mount Zion Christian Church, started, and, and we share that in common. So I never mind telling people, hey, I'm related to Del Harris. And you say, well, would he acknowledge me? Well, he might if he knew I existed. <laughs> but but I, never, I never not mind throwing out that name. Now, now perhaps... That's why through the ages, ordinary people have tried to find a way to personally connect with God. I mean, every other relationship in this world pales in, in comparison to connecting with the Almighty. The Middle East is and has been for generations a battleground, and a lot of it stems from this concept of who understands the right connections with God. Religious people who have sought God in their temples and rituals and sacrifices and holy days and high days have concluded that somehow the God of the universe remains at best a remote force to be reckoned with. He's out there, beyond our scope, on the edge of the universe, distant, untouchable. Ancients and moderns alike have created their idols in an effort to find that personal connection with God. In India... I watched Hindu worshipers who desperately wanted to connect with the divine, but how do you do that with literally millions of gods who appear as cold and uncaring as chunks of carved stone? But the good news is that God is not distant. He is not spiritually untouchable. He is relational. So, so how do we connect with a God that we cannot see? Oh, God took care of that 2,000 years ago when he took the lead and connected with us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. The sinful brokenness of our world cost him his earthly life. But when he left this world, following his resurrection, he gave us the church, a family, God's family, with whom we can connect. We are at our best, folks, when we are connected with others who share a common faith and who can encourage and challenge and strengthen us on a regular basis. We need each other. I need you. You need everybody else that's in this congregation this morning. And, and, and we need each other for accountability. And, and we grow best spiritually when we are in small groups together. We we have never been designed, we have never been created by God to go it alone. We are at our best when we're connected with other believers. Now, a few weeks ago, we asked you to fill out a survey with regard to our life groups, 
and the group link program which is happening tonight, and, and 758 of you took the time to do that, for which I am really grateful. And out of that survey, we, we learned a few important things. Uh, but one of them was that 81% of the people who filled out the survey said that small groups, connecting in a smaller setting, is really important, very important in their life. 92% who took the survey said they are willing to get involved in a group if they can find that group connection. Boy, that, that's exciting. The other 8% was made up of people who are already involved. So it was, it was a very positive thing. And it was just a reminder that, yes, God has made us relational people. And we do best when we connect together. One of my favorite descriptions of the uh, early church is found in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And this is what we read. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that anything of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Now, as far as I can tell, this is the only verse in the New Testament where the words heart and mind are used together in the same verse with the exception of what Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's something about coming together as the body of Christ, connected with one another, that is a mind and heart matter. And I believe the first century church really was a family, a cohesive unit, a place where everybody felt that sense of belonging. Don't you love to hear those words, you belong with us? Every employee wants to belong to the company. Every in-law wants to belong in that family. Every pledge wants to belong in that fraternity or sorority. Every voice wants to belong in the choir. Every student wants to belong in the class. We long to belong. Have you ever been somewhere where you felt like you didn't belong? You, you kind of know the minute you walk in, you just feel out of place. What's more, everybody in the place makes you feel like you're out of place. You, you know what I'm talking about? I've heard people say, I, I went to a church for a while and never felt like I belonged. You, you might even talk to people who have come here at some point in their life and they never felt like they belonged. Churches have personalities like people do, and so one church isn't going to fit everybody's needs. I know that. But every person that walks through those doors into this building, I want them to feel like they belong here. Even if something doesn't meet their needs, I want them to walk out of here saying, well, I, I can't stay there. I need to find another place. But boy, I sure felt at home while I was there. Because you see, we long to belong, and that's such an important part. Have you ever watched this Pixar cartoon? This is one of my favorites. It's about, well, not belonging. No words expressed in it, but you'll get the point. It's simply called For the Birds. Maybe you have felt this way before. <laughs> you ever felt that way? You know, you know that, that kind of feeling when you're in that and you think everybody else is against you? A lot of people look at the church from the outside and they think that's what it's like here. And that's why they conclude that being a part of the church is for the birds. And you and I know that's not true. It, at least it shouldn't be. Of all the places in the world where people ought to belong and feel at home first, it ought to be in the kingdom of God. Now, unfortunately, that, 
that may not always be the case. But I, as I look at the ancient church, the first century church, I, I really do think they had a good handle on all this. I, I want to read some passages right out of the book of Acts, uh, chapter 1 and 2 and 4 and 5 and, and 20. Just listen to how many times we hear the word together. They all joined together constantly in prayer. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. And then this great passage from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, out of this whole concept of connecting with one another and belonging to the body of Christ and belonging to one another, let me just remind you of a couple things that are important. And the first one is this. God created us to be relational. From the very beginning, God created you to belong, and everything in nature seems to point that, that direction. Everything we look at in God's creation seems to remind us of that truth. The, the giant redwoods that uh, thrive in northern California, you, you know this. They, they are not a go-it-alone kind of a tree. They, they grow in groves because they have such a shallow root system that they require the root systems of the other redwoods to hang together. That teaches us about sticking together. We do better together. And consider the lesson that God teaches us in the animal kingdom. Almost every, almost every animal of the wild has some kind of, of pack or, or group. You know, the, the, the animals that travel alone usually end up being prey to the groups of animals that travel together. Now, now we're familiar with some of the terms. We're probably not familiar with all of them. Uh, for instance, we're, we're familiar with herd of cattle, flock of sheep, school of fish. But, but most animals have a different terminology. For, for instance, how about a brood of chickens, gaggle of geese, a kettle of hawks, a tiding of magpies, a parliament of owls, a covey of quail, a murder of crows, a convocation of eagles, a swarm of bees, a bed of clams, a float of crocodiles, a pot of whales, a colony of beavers, a pack of dogs, a labor of moles a business of ferrets, a band of gorillas, a pride of lions, a crash of rhinos. Why, folks, even bacteria lives in a culture. <laughs> God has taken everything in his kingdom to point us to the fact that we do better in groups. He created us to be relational. Now, what comes to mind when I mention these words? Hermit, recluse, loner, solitary, do you get a happy picture or a sad picture with those words? Do you get a positive or a negative image? I don't know about you, but I get a sad, negative picture. Let me ask you this. Why is Howard Hughes of, of, of history fame so intriguing to us? Well, he was a wealthy man, but there's a lot of other wealthy people who have lived that are not so intriguing. I mean, he was a great pioneer in aviation, but there's been a lot of other great pioneers in aviation who are not so intriguing. What is it about Howard Hughes that makes him such an intriguing figure? You know what I think it is? 
It's the fact that toward the end of his life, he became this strange recluse, separating himself from the rest of culture. And everybody looks at it and says, what's wrong? Why did he do that? How did he make it like that? And you've seen the odd and unusual picture. I think that's what makes him intriguing because it's not the way God put us together. And if we as individuals have been created as relational beings, then it is for sure that when God put his church together, he expected the same thing to happen. God created his church to be relational as well. A young father heard a commotion out in his backyard. He looked out and he saw his daughter and some of her friends and playmates in a heated argument. And he went out the door and tried to intervene. And his little girl looked up and said, it's okay, dad, don't worry. We're just playing church. Now, that, I think, is a stereotypical view that is, that is embraced by a lot of people who look at, from the outside into the life of the church and they just say, hey, Christians can't get along. Christians are always fighting. Christians are always battling each other. I'm here to tell you, I don't buy it. I don't believe it. True, there are believers that are hard to get along with. I've met some of them. But, but there are physicians, attorneys, politicians, musicians, coaches that are also hard to get along with. It's not, it's not just those of us who are in the body of Christ at times. This coming January, Elsie and I will finish 34 years with this congregation. And I can tell you, we have never seen a contentious spirit in this church. And I know other wonderful congregations, and you do too, where a contentious spirit is absent. No one wants to belong to an organization that is always squabbling, so churches that are that way eventually die out. They don't continue going on. Do all the people here agree? No, of course not. Do you always see everything eye to eye? No, we don't. D does everybody like everything that happens? No, I don't even like everything that happens. <laughs> but it's not about one person always getting his or her way. But that's true of any organization, our civic club, our PTA, our work environment, even your home. If you're married, you don't always get your own way. If you do, you won't be married very long. <laughs> I reject the stereotype that the church is a battlefield. That picture is the exception, not the rule. Consequently, we need to focus on and emphasize the qualities of the church that help others feel like they belong. That we ought to be the kind of a place where people say, I really like being there. Now, here are some of the things I think that, that happen when we don't go it alone, okay? When we, when we are sincere about trying to belong. When, when you don't go it alone, others will know you. When, when you are sincere about belonging, others will know you. Let me give you an example of what I mean. When I go back to my southern Indiana hometown, which is the little town of Huntingburg in Dubois County in, in the uh, southern part of the state, I've been, I've been gone from there for decades. But when I go home, if somebody learns my last name is Ellsworth, they'll usually say, are you any relation to Tom Ellsworth? And they're talking about my dad. My dad was born, raised there, still lives there in, in, in Huntingburg. And I say, well, yeah, that's my dad. And immediately, immediately I have credibility. And, and immediately they know I grew up there. Because dad's always been there all of his life. That, that, that I'm a native of Huntingburg. And I'm home, I'm home folk down there, even though I've been gone for decades. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm more in 
even though I've been gone for decades, than the person who left California and moved to Dubois County 40 years ago. You see, they're still the outsider that moved in. There's something about where when we grow up in a place, when we are native to a place, that we're always accepted. I'm viewed differently than the person who has come from somewhere else. It's because I share a common heritage with the people of my hometown. Now, the same can be said for the church. When you belong, you are granted a certain credibility because you're a child of the Heavenly Father. You are viewed as a native, not as an outsider. There is a common spiritual heritage that we share. And you may be thinking, well, I just belong to the church global. I, I, you know, I, I accepted Christ. I just belong to the church global. That's good enough. Well, that's a good thing. I'll agree. But I don't think it's good enough. If you're not connected to the body, you're a loner out there. You're going it on your own. And I don't think that's what God intended. Rick Warren writes this, he said, except for a few important exceptions referring to all believers throughout history, Almost every time the word church is used in the Bible, it refers to a local, visible congregation. The New Testament assumes membership in a local congregation. The only Christians not members of a local fellowship were those who were under church discipline who'd been removed from the fellowship because of gross public sin, end quote. When the Bible speaks of the church, it's talking about what? who we are, what we become as a body of believers. And the Bible would indicate to us that a Christian without a church home is like an internal organ without a body, a sheep without a flock, a child without a family, all unnatural states. The Bible says you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Well, when you don't go along, when you, when, you, when you try to belong, you will know others. Others will know you, but then you will know others. Belonging to the church is like growing up in a large family. You learn not to be self-focused. You learn how to share. You learn how uh, to, to get along with others. You know that everybody else is equally important in the family, that it's not always about you. In our isolation, apart from the family of God, we're liable to, to develop a self-centered attitude which will ultimately destroy our joy in Christ. True belonging is caring for others as much as we would care for ourselves. It's being committed to each other as much as we are committed to Jesus Christ. Let me remind you what John wrote in his letter to the church. This is 1 John 3, 16. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He's not talking about physical family, he's talking about the spiritual family, that we ought to be willing to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family who needs your support and your encouragement, and you need ours. A family sometimes squabbles, that's true. But in the tough times, let me tell you, a family sticks together. And church, let me remind you that it is our responsibility to welcome and embrace those who come as genuine disciples of Jesus Christ, seeking a family, seeking a home. And if they walk in this door and say, hey, I am one of the family, and we don't reach out and say, welcome home. We're glad you're here. Let's pull together. Then, then we are wrong. And, and, and we're destined to turn out not so good. You, you see, when you, when, you, when you love the same Lord that I love, you are family, and, and, and we need to pull together 
Because when we don't, when we treat people like they're on the outside, like they don't belong, it's not a happy ending to the story. Just watch. And Dr. Zoidberg, hooray for Dr. Zoidberg. Not a pretty sight when we don't reach out and embrace each other in the body of Christ. You see, we are people who need to belong and who need to welcome others who need to belong. Author Joel Smith wrote, he said, snowflakes are frail, but if enough of them can get together, they can stop traffic. You are a part of this marvelous kingdom. You have gifts and talents and abilities that are important to the family. The family has gifts and talents and abilities that will be important to you. You are needed here. We need you here. We need each other. And, and how is it that in this large group and the all-important smaller groups like the life groups that start tonight, I want to encourage you again, take advantage of that. How is it possible that all of us from different age categories and different likes and, and dislikes and different cultural backgrounds and different ethnic backgrounds can all come together and, and, and make beautiful music together in the body of Christ? Is that even possible? Yeah. Yeah, let me see if I can illustrate it this way. A few years ago, the American Psychological Association did some research on orchestras, Symphony orchestras, and they polled the, the musicians in symphony orchestras, 11 different symphony orchestras, and asked them to de describe the personalities of the people who played the instruments in the orchestra. Now, now, these are coming from orchestra people, not people in the stands, the people in the orchestra themselves. And this is what they decided. They, they, the, they said the percussionists, the drummers were viewed as insensitive, unintelligent, and hard of hearing, but, but fun-loving. String players were seen as arrogant, stuffy, and non-athletic. The orchestra members overwhelmingly chose loud as the primary adjective to describe bra brass players. Woodwind players seemed to be held in the highest esteem, described as quiet and meticulous, although a bit egotistical. Interesting findings, to say the least. 
with such wide divergent personalities and, and, and understandings of each other, how in the world do they get together and play? It's because the members of an orchestra subject their views to the will of the conductor. And they put all of their differences behind them so that when they come together, they play this glorious music under the direction of one who makes it happen. How do we, coming from all different backgrounds and ages and sizes and shapes and colors and races and backgrounds, make such music here? It's because we must subject our own views and feelings to the will and to the word of the great conductor who, when he leads us, his church makes beautiful music in this world. That's why you don't dare go it alone. A soloist in the kingdom just, well, it just doesn't sound the same. You're here this morning because you need to belong. I'm here this morning because I need to belong. I need you all. We need each other. Don't go it alone. If you need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you need to be a part of this body of believers here, while we sing, you can come. After we're done singing, you can come sometime this morning, sometime this week. We just don't want you to go without having your questions answered and your understanding of what do I need to do to make Jesus Christ Lord of my life. I don't want you to live your life alone without him.